0: We huddle into
1: outer space And navigate the ocean floor Looking in and looking out Light was meant
0: for more Shapeshifters, Shapeshifters With intrepid hosts Andre and Azariah Shapeshifters, Shapeshifters Diving deep <laughs>
1: so, today, dear listener, we are going to be looking at uh, the whole issue of Monsters. <laughs>
0: Beautiful.
1: Okay, that's uh, that's Azariah. <laughs> and uh, we're actually kind of basing this on a book by Christopher Booker called The Seven Basic Plots, but what we're focusing on is one part of that book which is about the stories of monsters. Indeed,
0: indeed we are. The the book is brilliant because it looks at so many different themes and monsters is something that uh, captures our imagination from our earliest days whether it's the fairy tale with the dragon in his lair or the Wicked Witch on her broomstick. <laughs> um, you know, it really, it really gets to us. And I don't know what was your kind of first encounter with monsters.
1: Yeah, I think the first monster that I encountered in literature was the the White Witch. I think she was called in the Narnia stories yes. by C.S. Lewis. Yeah? So probably the most well-known of those is the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Yes. Uh-huh. And <clears throat> the White Witch is an interesting monster in that she she's actually uh, superficially quite beautiful and yeah. regal, mm-hmm. uh, and yet she's caused the entire nation yes. uh, to turn... Uh, to, just to become covered in snow and ice. Yes, and stone. And to stone. She's, and to and stone. Yes, she's, uh-huh. she's turned all the living things into stone. Yes. And the world is under a bed of... Uh, 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 is like a bed of ice and snow. Yes. So she's actually killed everything. Yes. So she really is quite a monster. Yes. And also, the other thing that struck me about her as a monster was how corrupting she was. Hmm. There's this little passage where she meets, I think it was Edmund. Edmund. And she entices him to betray his friends mm-hmm. with Turkish delight yes. that is so tasty that he can't stop eating it so she makes him into an addict of Turkish delight um, and monstrously turns his head away from his friends and towards her evil plans and so she's seductive she's seductive and she's enticing uh, the, uh, the hero characters into her lair where she's going to basically um, take over and dominate them.
0: Yeah, so I think that is um, it's quite an incredible. It's a great example because the, the monster holds sway over an environment. The monster mm. um, threatens, intimidates, and turning people into stone, putting making everything cold, takes energy and life away and leaves people devoid. Of, of, of the agency to actually change anything, to mm. shapeshift. She, she literally freezes them mm. um, in place, and so they can't shapeshift, they can't adjust and adapt to their new circumstances, you know, and so she puts them in this kind of dream state.
1: Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this reminds me of the Dracula stories funnily enough okay. because there's a thing about Dracula kind of hypnotising his mm, victims and yeah. and going into their dreams and uh, lots of scenes of, of his sort of victims dreaming and then he appears at night yes uh, a bit like the is it the Freddy Krueger stories um, Nightmare on Elm, Elm Street yeah. and all that kind of thing which is where the monster really actually goes into the dreams of his victims yes. And um, so you've got this kind of dreamy sort of half-reality, re- half half-not-reality state yeah. that the monsters can sort of creep into.
0: Ah. Yes, while that dream sequence is going on, to say, the external monster becomes the internal monster. Yeah. And so there's no there's no escape. That's yeah. so that thing of, of kind of nightmares and that we go through. I used to have a lot of nightmares as a child. And... The nightmares, I wasn't able to speak. There was a sense of threat, but it's something I couldn't quite put my finger on, something I couldn't quite escape from, and so I felt held by that thing.
1: Wow. Now, that's interesting, because one of the things that uh, Christopher Booker talks about in his book is about monsters not only being predatory and seeking to kind of devour what Mm. uh, is around them and the goodness of life to devour it and destroy it, but also there's this second aspect of monstrousness, which is what he calls holding fast, mm. or, to, or to kind of capture and yeah. gather and imprison in the monster's lair. Okay, yeah. And you see that actually, to some extent, in a lot of the James Bond films. Yeah,
0: I was thinking Austin Powers as well, which
1: is like a... Yeah. Where they literally <laughs> talk about like, yeah, the uh-huh. lair, the evil yeah, person's uh-huh. lair. Yeah and the lair is you know, typically in those sorts of films it's like an island in the middle of the, mm-hmm. the ocean uh, yes. away from everything else yes. with a secret base inside it yes. underneath the volcano uh, out yes. of which the spaceships come yes. or the rockets that are going to destroy the world and the lair is always somewhere else in a strange, mysterious location mm. and they, they used that kind of idea in Doctor No the first James Bond film yeah where James Bond had to sort of go across the water to this secret island Mm. um, to confront Dr No, the sort of the biggest assassin in the world. Um, So yeah, you've got this kind of idea of monsters reaching out maybe into our dreams, into the sort of half-awake state. Kind of existing in the shadows somehow. And retreating into the shadows, into their lair. For a
0: child, our young children sometimes think the monster's under the bed, or the monsters in the cupboard. And so yeah, there's this really interesting thing of where is the monster hiding? And the monster has the element of surprise. He says a predator coming to um, coming to, to snatch you to grab you and then um, and then yes. I mean in, in, in Booker he talks about the predator and then you say the whole fest and then the avenger. Mm. If you if you go and get the monster's treasure it's gonna come after you, like Jack and the Beanstalk for example. Yes. Um Do we have a sound effect for Jack and the Beanstalk? I think we might have a sound effect for Jack and the Beanstalk. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, or maybe not.
1: Yes. There we go. Yeah. There you go. Old reliable. <laughs> fi fo fum. I yeah. smell the blood of an Englishman. Yeah. And the monster. Be he liable, be he dead. I'll his bones to make my bread. Wow, that's quite scary if you're a small child, isn't it? It
0: is. Or it's even if though. you're a, a fully grown adult. In fact, I'm scared now. <laughs> I don't like that.
1: Can oh. stop? <laughs> <laughs> I want to hide under my bed.
0: But that's where the monster is. I'll oh, dare say that. Yeah. <laughs> no escape now, is it? No escape. But it's that thing of this all-pervasive um, uh, blanket, um, overwhelming sense of dread. But yeah, so... the Jack and the Beanstalk the the giant holds sway, the predator, and then he's trying to protect his treasures which Jack goes to get and then the giant, you know, tries coming down the beanstalk
1: to to avenge. I think the scary thing about that is is that in that instance the monster is he's leaving his lair, which mm-hmm. is, is bad enough that he's in his own horrible yeah. <laughs> monstrous world. <laughs> but he leaves that world, he starts coming into our world. Yes. So now we've got this other aspect yes. of monstrousness. Yes which is, uh, I think, evident in quite a few stories of yes. the monster cropping up in the wrong place yes. uh-huh. and essentially coming into our territory. Yeah. But we do that. We make people monsters, yeah. don't we? So, so
0: much of, of, of our current narrative in society is about the migrants coming, the yeah. hordes, the orcs. You know, the inhuman
1: swarming into yeah, Iran.
0: absolutely
1: yeah. In the UK, we're talking about here, yeah, yeah,
0: and and so there's this there's this sense, but all, all over the world, so whether it's Donald Trump saying let's keep Muslims out, let's build a wall against the Mexicans, yeah. There's this there's this fear that actually we're not safe, and and, and these they're monstrous hordes... yeah, so. they're, going, they're they're the predators coming to invade us. They're going to take our treasure away. And then, you know,
1: there's, there's nothing we can do against it. And the problem with this version of the monster, which I think is inherent in the monster story, is that yeah. the monster isn't human and the yeah. monster is not like us. No. The monster's not reasonable. Uh, I think Christopher Booker talks quite a bit about how this idea of monsters developed in the 20th century around... Mm the kind of modernist period and post-enlightenment. And you've got this kind of undercurrent idea, which is that we, whoever we are, the insiders, are the rational, sensible ones, and the outsiders, them, are the irrational and monstrous ones. And that if they're allowed to crash into our territory, they could devour us. So this is when we end up with ideas like let's put the walls up and keep yes. the, the the hordes out. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, See, that's where you get the, the isms from, huh? like racism, classism, sexism. So recently in the news, there's a thing that the last um, golf club um, that was all male has, has capitulated and started, you know, it's, it's going to welcome women in at last. Uh, and there's these sort of, yeah, we don't want to let the women in. Mm-hmm. Ironvale was part of a boys' school when I was growing up. And it was going to become a a co-ed mixed boys and girls school. And I remember just all the teachers having these panics and even saying to us, it's not going to be the same, it's not going to be any good once the girls come in. And so there's this... even the teachers were saying that. Even the teachers were saying that because they're so used to um, this this boys school thing and that was the culture and that's what we prided ourselves on.
1: Yeah. Um, And what happened when the girls did come in? It's great. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't what was foretold was not what yeah, happened. No,
0: not at all. Mm. Not at all. It added to us. It enriched us. Mm. Which is, you know, the, the, the conversation is that the, yeah the, we make people monsters and they're coming to, to take stuff away from us. Um, but actually, I think in some way what we're doing is that we, we are the monsters in some way, actually.
1: Well, that gets us onto a sort of more psychological kind of way of looking mm-hmm. at it. And I would say that from a from a psychological point of view, that this idea of monsters being out there is is sometimes described as a kind of projection. So what I mean by that is that something in us that we don't want to face, uh, that we find to be monstrous about our own feelings or about our own reactions or our own thoughts... Uh, it's easier to sort of push that out and project it onto other people. Kind of outsource our emotions. Scapegoating, essentially. Outsourcing our Mm. badness, Mm -hmm. as we see it, onto others. And then we can hate them, and we can uh, fear them, or we can reject them, uh, we can try and control them, but it's all sort of a bit external to us. Now, I think one of the stories where this idea of the monster being actually within us comes up in Jekyll and Hyde, because uh, I think one way of reading that story is that the transformation that ha- is happening is is kind of a release of something in um, the unconscious that is previously mm. kind of buried, it's a bit Freudian in that sense and so then all these libidinous kind of drives start to come to the surface and the monster is unleashed um, but I think that gets a bit closer maybe for me to what maybe the reality is which is the biggest monsters we have to face are often some things within ourselves yes. that we find hard to contemplate. So, how do we uh, face up to these monsters, or you know, what can we do? Um, yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting. I think in the world of therapy, um, there's various approaches to this. I'm interested in one approach called narrative therapy, where a writer called Michael White talked with there's a there's a kind of example in one of his books about him talking to a child who, uh, in therapy, who had uh, believed that there was a monster, literally a monster, under his bed. And the the thrust of what, what happened was that this child was helped to have a dialogue with this monster so that they could play the part of the monster as well as play the part of the child who was afraid. So they could be the monster and do the monster voice and do the monster actions. Really? Um, like... Uh, they're just playing a role play, like a bit of drama, and then they could play the boy who was scared of the monster. And I think this kind of um, approach—I may not actually have got that exactly right, so forgive me if anyone goes to look at the actual book. But the the idea was really that the the person afraid got into a dialogue with the thing they were afraid yes. of, yes. and I think that's quite a kind of interesting idea because in various ways however we slice it a lot of modern therapy is essentially saying face it and deal with it yes rather than run from it because if we run from it and we know this with people who are phobic about things or anxious about certain things the more we run from them the worse they tend to get and the more afraid we tend to get so the the feared thing tends to not diminish when we run from it it actually gets Mm. more powerful yeah Which Um, would fit with the monster avenging kind of narrative. But
0: I I think it's important that um, in the Booker treatment, he looks at um, the hero needs some sort of special weapon. You know, often maybe needs a companion. And so this isn't something that we can go into uh, vulnerable or exposed. We we, we can't go into facing our monsters without um, the right kind of equipment. So whether it's James Bond going to queue and getting his you know his watch which fires something off or his special car or whatever um um or whether it's silver um, bullets yeah silver bullets or perseus with his with his shield or um, staking the heart for dragon, yeah absolutely and so we need to we need to be ready for this we need some sort of arm and i think you know, things like therapy community uh friendships uh trusted relationships all help with this but then there
1: comes a point where it's down to us and our fear I think that's the interesting thing about all those mythic kind of weapons uh, are that the weaponry means that the person has to approach the monster to defeat it even if it's to shoot them or to put a stake in the heart or ah. to whatever it is they have to actually engage with the monster to do it they wouldn't be able to do it unless they were approaching them or in mm. the vicinity of them yeah. and it just seems therapeutically to me from my point of view as a psychotherapist that that's essentially what we're talking about when people are getting freer of their monsters whatever those monsters might be that pursue them Mm. is there's a degree of facing it and actually when we face it it the balloon starts to decrease I always see it a bit like a balloon that's blown up very big Mm. and then when we start to face it I don't think we pop it I think the balloon just goes down, it deflates, Hmm. the power of the monster sort of starts to shrink.
0: It's hard to face because some monsters are invisible, Uh so in the um, uh, the, the films which look at the Invisible Man um, idea, uh, you don't know where the Invisible Man is going to approach from, and all of a sudden you know that you've been acted upon, but mm-hmm. you don't know where the punch is coming from, where the, the, the slip is coming from. Mm-hmm. And it's only when uh, you're the invisible man's victim um, does he put his suit on and put the bandages around himself and then put the, the glasses on and the hat on and all of a sudden you, you see what it is. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there are so many ways in which society, where the oppressions are invisible, and it's only when um, when you're at the bottom, when you're voiceless, when you're invis- when you're becoming invisible yourself, that you um, that you know it and you feel it, and, and it's there. So I mean, how do we fight these monsters which 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 seek to hide?
1: So what would be an example of that kind of monster of the sort of hiding in the? in the shadows that doesn't really make itself very clearly known yeah
0: so I think like the golf club with the sort of mm-hmm. the, the, um, the the culture of excluding women yeah I, I think um, in terms of uh, race yeah um, kind of polite society white society um, keeping um, those of other minority ethnic groups out of leadership positions or out of opportunity positions yeah. all of these sort of things can be quite nuanced It's something, it becomes quite intangible
1: yeah um but I think I think an interesting part of that is that it becomes more tangible when um, something shifts in the culture, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, so, for example, recently we've had the what's described as the Brexit vote, mm-hmm. the vote to leave the European Union in the UK, and there seems to have been, and and the people who decided they wanted to leave the union. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes because, not always, but to some extent because they wanted to diminish immigration into the country or were worried about it, there seems to be a consequence of that victory mm. for that lobby, which is an increase in racial attacks. Yeah. Now, that might be a coincidence, but one way of reading that might be that people feel a bit more empowered. To actually go after mm. the monsters as they see it yeah. um, of those who are different to them in some way yeah yeah and that this is somehow giving permission to do so yeah when there's been a shift like this in the mm. in the culture yeah and so that that
0: monster becomes more visible
1: yes yeah more of a target yeah actually uh-huh. yeah. and I mean you also got the the whole don't shoot um, hands up uh, yeah. kind of situation in America uh-huh. which again seems to be very much based around white cops yeah. shooting black kids yeah. um, where it's an interesting uh, thing to look at because what's, what's making it more visible there is those that are, are being the vi- the victims and the culture of the victims is speaking out and finding a voice mm. so yeah. mm. so Okay, so just to round this up, we've been looking at monsters today. Uh, we will come back uh, and look more at this book by Christopher Booker, The Seven Basic Plots. And, uh, yeah, if you feel uh, you want to invest in looking at that book, if you want to follow through this with us a bit. Yeah,
0: I think uh, so. Um, I guess just one more point when you mentioned book it just reminds me one of the things he says is that it's worth confronting the monster because it means you get your treasure back. Ah, yeah. And often yeah. it means you find love, yeah. um, and um, and it often means that you find some level of leadership, some level of, of power.
1: Yeah, well, I think I think for me the the monster is is essentially holding some of our own power. Yeah, and until we have kind of confronted the monster and engaged with it, there's a part of us that's powerless. Yeah, and so mm. some, and that I think works at the political and social and. Psychological levels. Great. Brilliant. Boom. Okay. Okay. Let's leave it there for today. The yeah. Bam, bam, bam. Beautiful. Shake, to
0: it. Shake, to it.